We use AI um, within that product line to make sure that we've got the right skilled individual to be able to handle those interactions from those customers. You know, it might be as simple as, do you have somebody that's got language skills that can speak in French or Spanish to handle that client? Or actually, is it more a technical problem that you need somebody that's been certified on a product or service um, that can handle that, that interaction with the, with the client? On today's show, our guest is Lee Cottle, the European Director of Company Playvox, and we're talking all about workforce optimization. This is Tech Talks, your twice-weekly technology podcast with myself, David Savage, powered by the Harvey Nash Group, where we bring you interviews from across the industry and a little bit of tech news. Joining me today, we've got Akish. Akish is at home. I'm in the office. I thought I'd see you, and you're not here. No, I'll be honest, I was going to come in, but I woke up a little bit late. Couldn't be bothered. No, I was just like, I woke up a little bit late, and I was like... Isn't it good, right? Back in the day, I would have probably had to make an excuse about my train line or something that happened. Or... Whereas now you just go, honestly, I can't be bothered, but I will do the work. Yeah, I'll still be working, but I just haven't. I believe, been... I believe you. You don't need to convince yeah. me. Yeah, exactly. But I just chose to just sit around in my shorts and T-shirt all day. So, uh, yeah. Now, listeners, you'll have to bear with me for a second. But looking out of our kitchen window at work, we now have a slightly interesting view. Before the pandemic, it was a building site. Now it is a skyscraper that appears to be a hotel. And I have to tell you, I'm a little bit weirded out. Because if you look directly in front of our kitchen, all you can see is a whole load of bedrooms that don't appear to have any curtains in them. Correct. Correct. And also... Also, right, I just want to say I have been into the office for the record uh, and, and I have seen the same view. Um, I also find how those rooms, right, they're probably going to be a couple of hundred a night, I'm guessing, in terms of location. I'd, I'd imagine right? so. Yeah, because it's it's quite an upmarket kind of hotel chain, right? Um, but those hotel rooms literally all look the same. Like if you have a look, the bed is in the exact same position, the furniture, even the I mean, paintings on the wall. Um, or the things that they've kind of hung up, like wall fixtures. I, I've just turned around and I can confirm that Akish is, in, is, is, is right. Yeah. I can see at least 15 of them stacked on top of each other. They <laughs> all pretty identical. It's weird, isn't it? It is so weird. Um, but I might have to take a photo to accompany this chat for social. Yeah, maybe, yeah, I, I think you probably should. Yeah, because no one's really yeah. going to know. And, and also, if anyone wants to know where our office is, I mean, we're in Liverpool Street in the Heron Tower. So, If you're a fan of the podcast, why not book yourself a night in the hotel and you can wave from your bed whilst we record. <laughs> and if you, if you put a sign outside the window facing the Heron Tower saying, Tech Talks put me here, <laughs> me and Dave will take you for a drink. Screw it. We'll Absolutely. take you for a night out. We'll take you for a night out I, around London. I, I don't know. I wouldn't pay a couple hundred pounds a night if I woke up to find us lot looking... With a coffee in hand from the kitchen, like, all right, morning. Where is he? Where is she? Where is she? <laughs> oh, God. Know, right, anyway. Anyway. <laughs> I think we should skip to today's interview rather than this rather off-topic chat. Uh, our guest is Lee, um, European Director at Playvox. We'll hand over. We'll come back with some commentary afterwards. So this morning, I am joined by Lee Cossel, the European Director of Playvox. How are you this morning, Lee? I'm very well, thank you, David. I can see some sunshine beginning to creep in the window behind you. Um, where, whereabouts are you? So I'm in Warwickshire, so um, in the middle of the country, so in a little village called Churchover. It's a lovely, idyllic spot, but very close to the uh, motorway and, you know, and train services to London, so it's 
perfect location for me. I, I tend to think actually that we, we we are pretty lucky in the UK that you can have some really very lovely countryside, but actually be a couple of miles from a major artery. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's kind of lost on people that actually it's it's quite an easy country to get around. It certainly is, and I, I'm, I'm blessed being located where I am. I can get into London in less than fifty minutes, which is yeah. uh, you know you wouldn't have thought that years ago, but it's great. Very handy for a commute that you don't have to do anymore, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> quite. <laughs> Well, look, let's let's have a quick chat first of all about about what it is that you do. Who are Playvox? Yes, yeah, so, so so Playvox are a, a provider of workforce engagement management software, um, and it's really designed for the cloud-based CRM contact centres that exist today. So very much an omni-channel, omnipresent, always present, regardless of which channel you want to communicate, email, chat, um, etc. And um, and we, we, we basically solve um, problems in the contact center, one around um, how do you best forecast your resources to handle the volume of interactions that you're going to receive in your contact center. And the second thing we do is really how do you optimize your workforce to get the most out of those people that are serving your clients? And uh, we have a suite of products that solve those particular issues in the industry. I'd imagine those products have obviously come into their own in the last 18 months with contact centres themselves, not, no longer being, I suppose, centres, but virtual centres with lots of people having to carry on doing their operating jobs from, from, from home. Yeah, I, I have to say the last um, two years, the company's grown phenomenally. Uh, and this is because people are waking up to the fact that um, you, when you work in a contact centre, it doesn't have to be in a physical location. It could be absolutely anywhere. Uh, but that in itself generates its own challenges, as you can imagine. Uh, mm. People that work in contact centres are used to working with others around them. And suddenly with the pandemic, they're thrown into isolation, working at home, not working with colleagues around them, which generates its own issues and, and stresses. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we solve those problems. And it's a, it's interesting to see the way the market's completely shifted now from being contact centers, being based in an office, and now spread geographically anywhere. What what kind of clients does does the company work with? Is it kind of across the board? Is it any kind of size? Is it, you know, are we talking about big established established legacy banks? Is, I'd, I'd imagine it's it's big operations if, if it's going to be a contact center. But maybe that's a naive kind of line of thought. Well, not not really. I, I think um, I mean Playbox himself. We've been around since two thousand and twelve. We've got over two hundred and fifty clients worldwide. And they range from brands like Nike to DHL, the courier service, to Dropbox and Wish, but also um, companies like Just Eat and Delivery Hero. So all of these companies have suddenly flourished more recently with these new business models of delivering food to homes. You know, these are you know some of the customers that, that we have. Um, and it's more the new digital clients that we have more so than the legacy ones that you're probably more familiar with when we talk mm. about contact centers particularly people think of the old telephone contact centers with people like factory hens stacked up yeah, yeah, each other, right. taking calls well the, the contact center of today is very very different and um, the great thing is that if you wanted to move into contact center industry now it's so much easier than it ever has been because you can have a cloud-based service and have it up and running in literally, you know, days and hours, as opposed to spending months and uh, months building a contact centre on on premise, which is which is great. Yeah, I mean, it's funny that you say that. I, if I think about a contact centre, I tend to think of 
probably the call center, which was that BBC series a few years ago. I think it was on BBC three, perhaps that was that very traditional view of what a call center was. Uh, and obviously it's changed dramatically. Look, you obviously, um, are looking at identifying and maximizing emerging technologies. AI obviously then becomes a, becomes a big tech, uh, kind of tool at the disposal of, of a contact center. Um, how useful have some of those automated tools been this year, I suppose, where you've got people working from home and they are in isolation? It must offer a wonderful way for organizations to really make sure they are getting productivity out of people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and one of our product lines is our workforce management um, solution, which is really about how do you manage and schedule the labor to handle the traffic that you're expecting in your contact center? So, um, and that uses sophisticated AI models that work both with historical information. So how busy was I yesterday versus how busy I am today, but also real time data as well. So actually, if I just launched a new product, am I starting to peak now in traffic? Do I need more hands to be able to handle the, the interactions to meet my service levels? So we use AI um, within that product line to make sure that we've got the right skilled individual to be able to handle those interactions from those customers. You know, it might be as simple as, do you have somebody that's got language skills that can speak in French or Spanish to handle that client? Or actually, is it more a technical problem that you need somebody that's being certified on a product or service um, that can handle that, that interaction with the, with the client? So our workforce management uses all of these, the, the, these very complex algorithms to take all this information and say, ah, make the best decision to make sure they've got the best skilled individual to handle that inquiry. But moreover, meet the service levels of that business, which um, which is really important, um, particularly if you're regulated. So, um, so yeah, we, we use workforce management, um, AI in our workforce management portfolio to make sure that we get those right skilled individuals at the right time. No, no. People often when they're calling up a contact contact center are possibly getting in touch because they they have an issue and they might be a little bit irate. And we all know that customer service and customer relations is incredibly important. If, as we alluded to before, the working environment and the reason that people really enjoyed these jobs has kind of to a degree been taken away and they're working in isolation, they've not got that buzz of colleagues around them. Uh, and I've worked in sales before and I know that that, that really is what makes those jobs enjoyable if we're being perfectly honest so they're in those environments and ai is constantly driving at efficiencies um how do you make sure that actually what you're doing the technologies that you're providing makes those people happy and makes those people kind of productive and and and, and up to do those jobs it's, give you an example i was i was uh, i was spent the weekend in manchester with some friends uh, an area manager for one of the big banks and, and he was talking about customer service and he said look you'd, you'd, it doesn't matter who you are what level you are uh and and he's an area manager and he was talking to a junior tra- trainee and it's not a call center obviously but it's a similar principle that you just have to be on that customer side all the time every time and that that getting that that environment getting that positivity must be hard at the minute yeah, I think it's it's been proven to be really tough for a lot of companies, and um, I, and that's why I'm quite really proud of the company that we work with, Playbox, because um, we put the, the agent at very much the centre of our thought process, and um, 
another part of what we offer is our complete workforce optimization suite. And, and within there, we've got elements around quality. So looking at how well we've handled those interactions with those customers so we can offer coaching or interaction uh, interventions to help with coaching or education. But also we, we, we have a piece which is around motivation and, and collaboration, um, particularly when people are working aren't working in an office together they're working remotely so we use uh, gamification where people can award each other with badges around for doing a good job um get scores from feedback from customers from those great customer um, experience they deliver through to additional training they would have taken with our learning management system and they can score get these 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 rewards these points and then convert these rewards and points into prizes in our karma score and our, our in our score uh, and in this online store you can the company can put any gift they want up there whether it's amazon vouchers I mean, we've got one particular client that's got uh, ceo shots with you know shots with the ceo for doing a great job so you can score get these rewards and then convert them into prizes and and we find that that's a really good way of creating a good atmosphere an atmosphere that you would normally only get in an office environment. And going back to this point around trying to be on the customer side, it's really important to provide the right training and education to employees around how best to deal with that. Um, it's kind of in interesting. Each industry is very, very different. Uh, I was talking to um, uh, online gaming um, company just a few weeks ago, and the staff there don't like to take, don't like, like, don't like to be wrong. And the majority is like 90% of the staff are males. And males don't like to be wrong, so they like to hold their line. So if somebody phones up and say, hey, I didn't get my, this bet's not quite right, they end up having an argument with them. Um, and you want to change the dynamics of that interaction and say, actually, um, the customer's right or could be right. Perhaps we should just give them a free bet or something to take the heat out of it, but they'd much rather have that argument. So it, it's interesting in uh, these kind of dynamics, uh, things that we, we kind of notice as we work from industry to industry. And it's really important to put the right education and training in there to take those, those cultural things out so that you represent the brand properly. And you can only really do that by reviewing the interactions that you have with customers, which is uh, one, of the, one of the elements of our Playbox offering. It's interesting there that you pick up upon that because different industries obviously will be very different and gaming is obviously going to be a very different call center in, in environment to an insurance firm. Um, with everyone at home, uh, how 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 concerned have your customers been when thinking about the way that they can customize your, your product to make sure that, that it does reflect that? I mean, I, I would imagine at the beginning of the pandemic, it was just getting the technology out there and getting people up and working. But now kind of second, third lockdown into 2021, the focus might be shifting, right? Yeah, it's, it, it's a good point. I think for us, because we were always a cloud base. So, um, you know, that was a big part of our offerings that we expected people to be working from. And we were set up, we were built from the ground up with that expectation that people would be working remotely in some way or form. So our, our bigger challenge, I think, for, for businesses is um, they're concerned about data and security and, you know, um, identifiable information and how would that be uh, presented in our solution and obviously we've overcome all of these uh, the, these issues around data security but they seem to be the biggest um, 
challenges for companies, understanding how they overcome them. And that's more to do with the, the legacy environment that we've been in. A lot of contact centers have been predominantly on-premise. So they've had all their equipment, all their databases, all their telephony, all of their infrastructure in one physical building or a couple of physical buildings. So they could feel and touch it. And now suddenly you can't feel and touch this stuff. Your concern is, ah, is it secure? And um, of course, clearly we are. I mean, we work for a number of financial organizations. We, we have to be. Um, but it is a big concern is around uh, data security. So data security is is kind of on the priority list right now. But you mentioned there that we're moving away from that physical environment, maybe away from some of that legacy. I suppose in a way, maybe it's kind of like a greenfield virtual environment for a lot, for a lot of these organizations. So how, how do you think the technology might evolve over the next couple of years? Is it going to be that security remains, obviously security is going to remain an ever-present, but hopefully that that is, is kind of there, but there are other nicer benefits that companies begin to be able to focus on too, and what might they be? Well, it's in, I, I think we see a world where um, the cloud is becoming the norm. People are slowly moving there, not quite as fast as you'd, as you'd think, but people are moving away from these on-premise environments. And, and because of that, you get a lot more flexibility. And, and the big driver is when you own all of your own equipment infrastructure, you've got a lot of technology debt and you keep investing in, in, in that. Whereas if you take a cloud offering, you're benefiting from all of the investment that other companies, other ideas have come from, feedback that's developed the, 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 um, the offering. So then it comes back to what you do in-house now, your contact center. And um, I think a lot of that's going to be really around focusing on, on better quality of interactions with customers, better training. And we'll see new technologies that will pop up that will look at the dynamics around even simple things like how do people learn? So when you onboard somebody into a contact center, they will go through you know three or four weeks of training before they can even you know, sit at a desk and take an interaction. But what we'll uh, slowly discover is that some people will be very much visual learners, so they'll want to see video content to learn. Others will want to see process um, written down. I think some of these technologies will come in to actually better suit or better understand the individual that's providing the service, and therefore what's the best way to get that person trained up to speed so they can be onboarded faster to uh, make a difference. So I think that's one one area that we'll see um, a, a lot more focus. And it will spin back round to the importance of that employee as well, where if you if you give, if, if an employee is treated well, they're likely to treat their customers really well. So if you've got a good environment for your employees to learn, to work within, then they're going to reflect that and mirror that behavior to the way that they deal with customers. So I think there's got a lot more focus on the employee element of it um, because we have seen automation, all sorts of um, uh, designs being delivered to contact centers from conversational AI where you interact with a, a man machine and you see that um, they get so far and then if it's a complex interaction, you end up being bounced to an agent. Um, at that point, the customer is frustrated. So the agent has to be trained to calm them down, apologize for that environment, that, that situation, and then give them a great, great uh, uh, customer service. So um, I think 
lots of companies will try and refine some of those AI services to make them better. But the reality is when it's a complex interaction, you are going to start talking to real people. And I think we will see for the first time that the agent be elevated as far as value um, in, in, a, in a contact center, um, you know, because they're going to be really valued. Well, look, that's good to hear, certainly. I think uh, in an industry where it's felt like AI for a number of years was maybe marginalizing the impact that the individual has, it sounds like it's going back in the, in, in, in the other direction now. Um, Lee, look, it's been fascinating to talk to you. I really appreciate your time. Uh, I hope that Flavox continues to go from strength to strength and uh, enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you. So workforce engagement, mm. um, cloud-based, omnipresent, multi-channel. Um, this is very much a company of our times, isn't it? It's, it's interesting listening to this. It's kind of, it's all the stuff that we've been talking about for, for the last five years, but one of these companies that was just very well positioned for the unexpected, you know, everyone switching to home. And um, here, here, here was one of those businesses that was really well placed to do well in the environment. And that's a good thing because let's be honest, if, if we hadn't had the technology and the capabilities that we've had, this pandemic would have been a hell of a lot worse. I know. Can you, can you imagine if we didn't have these systems in place already or if these kind of like softwares or, or, or kind of platforms were, were not already being used by people in, in the world? Yeah. Right. Even if we rewound five years, I yeah. think that would have been... Significant. Yeah. It would have been significantly more painful than it has been. Hundred percent. I mean, trying to trying to get up to scratch with, and I'm going to probably sound like an idiot, and I'm going to sound like I shouldn't be on a technology podcast. But when the when the pandemic first happened or first started, that was when I first started using Microsoft Teams. Like I hadn't used it before that because you just used to walk up to people in the office and say, "Hello, I need to get this done," or "Hi, you know, can you do this?" and or in my case, I used to shout things across the office really loud and, and piss a load of people off. But um, yeah, like even even teams, it's it's just you know like ridiculous. So having something like that, where it's a workforce management tool, software, unbelievable. Like and, yeah. and, and they're probably raking it in, or I don't know if that's allowed, we're allowed to use that. Are we allowed to say that? But well, I, th I think we should say that we we. We can hope that they're being successful because that, that suggests yeah. that the wheels of industry are turning. Mm -hmm. But what I think is really interesting about this, and Lee is obviously a, a, a pains all the way through, you know, yeah, it's about workforce engagement and it's about optimization. But the, the heart of that optimization is motivation and collaboration. You know, the recognition that not working with colleagues around you in these kind of positions can be really demotivating. And let's let's not let's not pull punches we work in a sales organization we work in an organization you are an individual akish mm. who likes having his colleagues around him mm, yeah and and to be honest that i think well for me personally has probably been the hardest thing about work during the pandemic um and if you put into the if you kind of add um the furlough period that we had um if you put into kind of, you know, redundancies and, and kind of, you know, kind of strategies for the business, um, not just ours, but I'm sure there, there's hundreds of businesses in the UK and, and, and globally, um, you know, that have had to make cuts and, and people have had to lose, you know, a, a lot of good friends, colleagues, um, you know, real key workers within organizations. And I think something like 
this kind of piece of software, it allows you to still have an element of interaction as compared to just doing a Zoom quiz every Thursday, um, you know, which, which kind of seemed the norm at, at, at the start. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think that's that for me, something like that is, is great. But obviously it then has a knock on effect on your customers mm. and on your kind of work, helps to boost revenue helps to keep kind of the engagement thing going. Cause I think that was the hardest, that was the hardest thing for any organization and not just engagement on a platform like this engagement in general, I think where yeah, even if you needed to, you know, pull a few people into a meeting together or into a zoom chat, or, it, it just, the engagement piece was real hard. Not cause people were trying to be difficult. I just think cause no one knew what the bloody hell was going on and, and how things were meant to happen. Right. Um, but I think now you know, it, it, we have almost adapted and, and morphed into these hybrid workers who I can sit at home, do a good job and, and do the same job that I could be doing that you're doing, but you're sat in the office. So yeah, there's no real difference, really. It's interesting because I, I was listening to it and I was I was thinking actually about an article. We've just published an article on the Harvey Nash Group News Hub, uh, which is written by the journalist Chris Merriman, where he's talking to the head of an agency called Gallium, right? And and they talk about the fact that they had an open mic session effectively, like this this bit of Teams that was just always on and that people could log into and just sit there and work, but everyone was sitting there and working on this kind of like open audio channel. And quite often, you no one was saying anything. You could just hear other people tapping away on their keyboards and other people just working. So you knew that your colleagues were there and you might not have been in the same room as them, mm. but it wasn't quite as isolated as sitting in a house on your own because you were more aware of their presence. So, so it's basically like office white noise. Yes, except right. real. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it wasn't yeah. just... It wasn't just Alexa play office noise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is probably an option. Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty cool to be honest. That, that yeah, I thought cool. so. Um, uh, what I really liked as well is that they had um, a playlist for each employee, and when they felt that someone was was a bit low and needed to pick me up, they would put that person's playlist on for everybody, um, uh, because they were like, yeah, you know, because when you're feeling a bit down or whatever else, if your song comes on, you start tapping your foot and maybe kind of singing along quietly. Yeah, that picks you up, and then uh, yeah, and then they return it to kind of a generic playlist. Nice idea, right? I, I do, I do like that. I do like that. I'm, I'm just trying to think though, right? And, 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 and I'm just going to be critical of myself here. I'm quite, I split opinions when I'm in the office. Some people really like to be in the office with me, and some people really hate it. So if I was sat on that channel and I was, you know, shouting and saying things and you know singing along and laughing and being really loud on the phone, I don't know if people would like that. I think, but if people didn't like that, I suppose they've got the option to mute it. They do have the option to mute it. Whereas in the you, office, you've got the option of dialing me. in. Yeah, they've got the option to dial in if they want that yeah, buzz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just thought it was interesting, and it kind of ties in with what Lee's going on about, you know, let's think about creating an environment where you don't feel so isolated. Mm. Um, mm. I think there is also this really important point that, you know, they are built for remote from start, mm. and a lot of organizations may not have been, but now either will be adapting to that rapidly or will be built remote from the start. And I think that will make a big difference. 100%. And I, I think also a lot of people have now changed. Like they, their contracts officially have changed to 
kind of just being full-time remote. Um, and what you have to think within that is a lot of these guys and girls have had to make some lifestyle decisions and choices. Um, I know a few people who are now moving to the coast or, you know, going to be closer to their kind of, you know, elderly parents because they don't have to be in the office and they've made a lifestyle decision for them and their families. And they're already going through a lot and they have to then adapt to the whole remote way of working. So by still, I don't want to say hybrid, but by still having some sort of a, I guess, an easing period whereby, you know, you're still kind of involved in the office and how things may have been and now kind of moving to a remote sense, I think it will lead to some behavioural changes as well. Um, but it's weird. It is so weird. Like, you know, you wouldn't think five years ago, if you were starting a new firm, probably one of the most nerve-wracking things was when you get walked around the building and get told where the toilets are and the kitchens and get your security kind of IDs and you meet a load of people on your first day that you never blimmin' remember. And now you're on your first day, you're sat in front of a webcam or on your laptop and talking to people from the comfort of your own home. It's yeah. Although crazy. it does mean the first time you go in, you're like, oh, you're that person. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's very true. That's very yeah. true. Right, well, anyway, look, Lee, thank you for being our guest on today's show. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about something that I think you can relate to. We're going to be talking about the success of the PS5. A couple of years ago, Michael and Jacob, two friends from London, were both thinking about their consumption and sustainability as a whole. Michael, a professional footballer at the time, realised he had no options when it came to sustainable sportswear. Overconsumption and underuse was all too common. Hilo was born, a sportswear brand fighting for the planet by changing mindsets. They've started with a running shoe made with seven natural materials, and the shoe can be recycled at the end of its life. As a company, they've offset their carbon to beyond zero, making them carbon negative. You can find out more about Hilo and support their mission at hiloathletics.com. That's H-Y-L-O. We support the Hilo movement. Right, a little bit of B to C news this, but interesting um, because I think it says a lot about the way that uh, people have coped with the pandemic. Um, Sony profits soar as it benefits from home entertainment boom. A semiconductor shortage means production volumes fall short of demand. But basically, Sony have reported a 26% rise in operating profit in the three months to the end of June. That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Basically, uh, the John Lewis website crashed when the PS5 was launched. Um, it, it says a lot about people's approach, right? Especially through the winter when it was when it was launched. And I think that was like November time. Yeah. Um, and I think it, it says a lot about, like, I think people expect to be home more. I think they're investing in some of these tools, not just because it was a short-term fix, because that, that is an expensive short-term fix, but I think people think that they're going to be at home more, and I think it says a lot about the way that they're interacting with their friends and may continue to do so. 100%, and, and I know a lot of people that, I, I mean, I I haven't got one, um, but I... Yeah, I thought you might have, I thought you would have done. No, I try, I've literally tried for about, not in the last two, three months, but at the start of the year, I tried massively to get hold of one um, because I refused to pay kind of, you know, a second, not a second hand, but like a resale price for it. Right. Um, and I was very close one night and I thought I'd kind of checked out and everything, but it didn't go through because um, they took my money and then sent me an email the next day saying, oh, 
we actually process too many orders um, as compared to stock, and unfortunately, you're not going to get it. So, yeah, I haven't got one. But there is someone, Harry Hargreaves, who I'm going to name him because he's I can someone. see him. I can see him, can listeners. See him? He's, he's on the other all side right. of the room. Well, he bought a PS5 and the new Xbox all in one day. So I can confirm there are people why, like... Why, why would he get two? Because there are some games that you can't play on the other console. Oh, there we go. Right. Stupid yeah. question. 101. Yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. But someone like him, because he is going to be spending more time at home and, you know, kind of with his mates who all game and, and all these sorts of things, he he can now justify to himself to spend however much he spent on two brand new games consoles. Um, yeah. Which is which is crazy. So I, I definitely think people like him. I mean, you know, it's, it's great that he's done that. I'm very jealous of him. But um, I think it's I think it's great, really. Like, you know, you, that you've got that option. Um, and the other thing I like that Sony have done, if I'm honest, Dave, is they had an opportunity to really outprice, like, the consumer, because I think the retail is around six hundred, five fifty, something like that. They they could have put the price point a lot higher given the kind of pandemic, given, you know, kind of how much they knew the demand would be. But they've kept it at a price point where, you know, the other consoles have also come in at, at the start, like whenever they've been launched, PS4, PS3, all that sort of thing. So, yeah, I kind of got a bit of respect for them, to be fair, like for that. Um, but just make more and we need more semiconductors. So Need more semiconductors. Up. Yeah, people yeah, quite interesting. I think it says a lot about. I don't. I think that's. I think that's more than a short-term fix. I thought it was quite interesting. Yeah. Um, joining me on Monday, we've got Anna, the uh, editor of Startups Magazine, who are going to be talking about their latest issue of the magazine. So that's a little bit different, and it's going to be all around health and mental health. So stay tuned for that. That'll be Tuesday's episode, recording on Monday. Uh, but apart from that, um, Akish, have a lovely weekend. Thank you very much. You too. I don't care, I'm not coming back